hit the button like I'm like launching, like bam, let's go. Like I did something. It, it, it doesn't you matter how hard I hit it. It's still gonna Good do evening, y'all. Welcome to Cross Politic. Twenty-seven billion dollars. Uvalde parents are suing uh, both the cops and the school. Twenty-seven wow. billion dollars. Wow. Pastor That'd be Toby, Chalk Knox. I'm the Water Boy. It's gonna be billion. with you, hmm. America. Knox, you always launch a show in my book. Hey, let's stop and take a moment to talk about Fight Laugh Feast Club membership by joining the Fight Laugh Feast Army. Not only are you aiding in our fight to take down secular and legacy media, and they need to be taken down, including all them conservative medias who's yeah. going woke. Yeah. But you'll also get access to content placed in our club portals, such as past shows, all our conference talks, and exclusive. Backstage content for club members that you won't be able to find anywhere else, That's including right. things like Jason Farley saying crazy things. <laughs> Lastly, you'll also get discounts at our conferences. So toss us 10 bucks a month, kick it over our way, sign up now, flfnetwork.com, become a club member. Mm. And, and at this point, you should see information out about the business leaders luncheon. Yep. Uh, the business pre-conference, which for is the conference. We yep. our, our third speaker is actually Michael Seifert from uh, Public Square. He was in the studio. Yeah, he was in the studio. So we got like Michael him. Seifert, Andrew Kapuschetz, and uh, David Reese speaking They're at our business conference. Pretty excited about that. Kind of. And then we have a church leadership luncheon on Friday and a business luncheon on Saturday. You guys should be able to sign up when you go to the website. It should all huh. be there to be signed up. If people have already signed up, can they go back and like register yes. For one of those sure events, can. there's they a sure way to can. do that, okay. and we're also Message. sending out emails yeah. um, to everybody so where they can too. sign up. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the Uvalde, there's this re- Texas House of Representatives put together an investigative committee on the Rob Elementary Uvalde shooting yes. that happened. Yes. Uh, me and Knox, we've been following this. We talk about it almost every week. Actually, uh, yep. it, you know, comes up in our in our show prep, uh, and the report came out where the Texas House kind of assessed everything, interviewed yeah. everybody involved. Right. You know, uh, kind of like maybe like a January 6th report. Maybe. It, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> no, so I don't let's know. hope not. They, they put it on the evening news every night. Yeah. Mm. But this report came out Jan- uh, July 17th. Yeah. July yeah. 17th. No one's talked about it. Yeah. It's been kind of buried I, in the back of media. Why? I, I think this is a failure of the fourth estate. I think that the fourth estate is being controlled. What's the fourth estate? The fourth estate is the so you, you have you have four. One of the states is the um, uh, uh, nobility. The right. second estate is the clergy. The third estate is common the commonwealth, mm-hmm. common yeah. people, and then the fourth estate is media. And mm. media makes sure that each is kind of the mortar between all of these three, so yeah. everybody knows what's make, going on. All make sure three there's communication going it's on. Communication. It's the main point. So of this the reason we don't know about this report is because the fourth estate is being controlled more by what's popular instead of what people need to know. Mm. So the fourth estate is driven by the economic setup of the common man and the nobility because they're in their pocket too. Yeah. Um, and they don't even talk to the clergy anymore. They're almost part of the, their own clergy. Mm. <laughs> or they made the nobility clergy. Yeah, right. Um, and so because of that, they are not saying, this is important. You need to look here. Mm-hmm. This is uh, information that's going to affect your life. This is going to make you think differently about what's going on between the other three estates. And because they are being controlled by um, what's what's popular and what's in the news and what's happening and what's trending, buddy. Yeah. Uh, they special interest. Special interest. They're not doing mm-hmm. their job. But even in this case, I don't think there's special interest in this particular situation. Yeah. This is just a breakdown of the fourth estate. Okay. They are being controlled by what's popular. So if you remember, uh, the first information that was coming out, mm. uh, you know, Wolf, uh, actually the uh, the the state uh, cop was on Wolf Blitzer. A lieutenant. Um, uh, the, a not DPA. lieutenant. Oh. Not a lieutenant. Remember, lieutenant. 
passed out in the hallways. Uh, no, we'll get there in a I thought it was okay. Yeah, he had passed out in the hallways. Um, and and here's the the first uh, uh, DPS information coming DPS out. Director. Yeah, DPS director. That's yes. right. Here we go. But don't current the best practices, Lieutenant. Call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on site. Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are, they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom uh, so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings. Except for in that class, except classroom. for in that where people were still alive, classroom. And they, they the producer's go. telling us that your phone needs to go off, Gabe. Is it yeah, the producer's <laughs> not like your phone. On he's standing up over here telling you like, knock it, it off. It's Lieutenant. I'm doing it the show. Lieutenant. It's Lieutenant Escalon. That's Lieutenant Escalon. Well, the, one point he was supposed to be doing. He wasn't supposed to be giving this interview. This yeah. is what people don't know. He wasn't supposed to be giving this interview. Really? There was actually another lieutenant who was actually on the site That's for right. most of the okay. day. Okay. Who was supposed to be giving an interview, but he had passed out in the hallway. In the hallway. <laughs> Probably got vaccinated, but we ain't gonna talk about that. <laughs> but we ain't gonna talk about it. Okay. So, so there, there was all this misinformation that was coming out in okay. the beginning. You remember? They because said, he, this person wasn't there, and so yeah. he was getting secondhand information. Okay. And this guy's trying to do his best. Oh, he, was, he, he was. He was yeah. there. He was there towards the later end of yeah. what had happened. I don't, if I was this guy, I don't know if I would have come on. I don't have all the information, and, and he ended up kind of getting. Yeah, we'll kind of put in, a, put in a sticky put in a sticky situation. So there's all this initially when the when the guy jumps the fence, the shooter jumps the fence. He comes well, he over, crashes the vehicle, he crashes the vehicle. Shooter right. jumps the fence. He, right. he starts coming in. Well, apparently, um, one of the coaches. Hand me that, yeah, Coach you know, Sylvia. Yeah, Silva. No, 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 the other one too. Yeah, there we go. Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, one of the coaches yeah. was the one that kind of alerted all these kids outside, and they all ran inside and went to lockdown. Not just alerted all the kids so, outside because there was a car. The car crashed. Yeah, and they, and saw, they the, saw the shooter so, come the out fence. with a gun. Yes. Coach Silva, Rob Elementary, Coach Silva, mm-hmm. Yvette Silva was outdoors mm-hmm. at the time with the group of third graders, and she re- and she spotted a, a backpack being tossed over the fence, followed mm-hmm. by a person dressed in black. Um, and clinging and climbing over the fence. Mm-hmm. She then saw the person raise a gun and begin to shoot. Coach Golly. Silva thought that the attacker was shooting at her, and she ran from the field toward the classroom. She used her school radio to report Coach Silva to office. Somebody just jumped over the fence, and he's shooting. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the reason— wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty Outside. Outside! Wow. So the reason why—we actually want to start here, but we want to get to, do the parents have the right to sue the school and the cops? And and as you walk through this report, you notice that there's all sorts of communication fail, failures. Yeah, all their different mechanisms for communicating with each other. Yeah, broke down. Most like the Wi-Fi wasn't even good. They're all they're, all those teachers are supposed to have an app that kind of you can send out of alert a alert to. Yeah. Um, and, and and you know no that failed. Um, the Wi-Fi locations were bad. The intercom, no one used the intercom. No one. Would, and so on. after the principal had had heard what had gone on, they yep. she had tried. The principal had tried to mm-hmm. communicate through the Raptor system and couldn't do it properly, supposedly because Wi-Fi failure. Also, that never said anything over the intercom, never. The whole time has gone down. Yeah. So some people are getting the alert, and other people are not getting the alert mm-hmm. at this time. Mm-hmm. And then you had um, a number of failures of kind of like like protocol, like. 
um, the the door that the shooter walked through was supposed to be locked. It was an exterior door. It was supposed to be locked. It wasn't locked. Other doors were propped open with rocks and stuff like that. Right. It's just like a failure of protocol. Right. Well, and um, and part of the other yeah. protocol was mm-hmm. that the room that the shooter went into, room one eleven. Yeah. There had been complaints about that door not latching mm-hmm. properly and closing properly, and everyone knew it. Everyone. It's in the report. It says and, everyone. And knew it was this. never. Students, it was never fixed. Never mm-hmm. looked into, and it was just the case. And so there were across the room. They were closing their doors. Shutting their doors, um, and but that door, every why would you even be in there if that right. door? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's right. like not. Right. Don't put if that's a problem. Go to the classroom next right. door. Right. Don't even be in that classroom. And the other, I mean, go ahead, game. You got all the no, no. Keep if you have anything else to add. I want to. I want to move on to when the cops, the, the failure of where the cops failed. So we talked about protocol communication. I wanted to move on to where the cops. Yeah, failed. yeah. If you have ahead. anything to add there, go okay. Ahead. And then the, the the law enforcement response. This report again. This is a. Um, it's 80 pages. It's 80 pages. Right and they, you know, first eyewitness interviews, they go through everything. Uh, and so apparently, I don't know why this is a, a point, and apparently this means something, but they, there was no law enforcement officer on Rob Elementary campus when the attacker came. Well, part of so, that is that it was split between multiple campuses. So there was like seven officers split between the high school and other campuses. On so, call for and all so those they campuses. would cycle back yeah. and forth and do walks like once or twice a week, a couple times a week. So yeah. there wasn't like they had enough police officers to be on site, on call constantly in, in that moment. So they were doing their their tours. Yep. And so that's why they were saying there was no police officer on site. And back to one of the information pieces, you remember uh, one of the information pieces that came out was said, oh, cops confronted him. They shot him. They saved a bunch of people from dying. Remember that? Right. That was like one of the initial reports. That came out. We got the we have a hero cop in there. He solved the. They shot him and all that stuff. And that wasn't true. Although multiple uh, law enforcement officers, um, they arrived within a few minutes of the attacker coming over the fence. But there was no um, confronting the shooter between the building and the fence. Yeah, and that was one of the reports that also came initially come out. But all this. so there were cops there before. No, he no. went into the building. No, okay. They arrived after the right. shooter okay. had jumped over the fence. Okay. okay. No, no, I'm, I'm talking about before he gets in the building. I, I can't remember exactly the timing of that, but I think that there was a moment where... Did they he, have an opportunity to keep him from going in the building? That, that, that was one of the initial that reports, was, and that did not happen, as I understand it. Yeah, I don't think and that this was... report never says that. Yeah, mm-hmm. this report doesn't make it exactly clear if they actually yeah. had con, direct contact. There was moments that they thought they might have had contact, but it actually ended up being a coach who was running back in the building. Mm. <laughs> so they were going to shoot that guy. But by the time they realized that he wasn't the guy, they're getting a call that the attacker's inside. And the here in the report, here it clarifies it. It says, after entering through the unlocked west door, the attacker had about three minutes in the west building before first responders arrived at that building, okay. including approximately two and a half minutes during which the attacker estimated to have fired, fired about 100 rounds in the hallways, just, yeah. just uh, randomly firing. Well, yeah, yeah, keep going. So, and then it goes on to say it was actually an active shooter scenario. So the chief gets on the scene. Chief by this time, Arandondo, I believe it is, Chief Arandondo. By this time, the chief. Uh, by, by this time, the attacker had gotten into room 111. Room 111 yeah. is the big room. The door was by unlocked. The way, should, yeah. So the reason that this the shooter's picking this area is because he went to school here, and that room is a room that he used to go Interesting. And, and was a, and he, a student. Was unlocked. And so he had had he some, some issues there with other kids and bullying and so on and so forth. So he it wasn't like it was random. Got it. He actually had intentions to go to that room because of personal connections to it. So... It should have been called an active shooter scenario, but the chief labeled it a barricade subject scenario, which is a very different protocol on how you handle the situation. It says here in the report, it says an active shooter scenario differs from a barricade subject scenario in that law enforcement officers responding to an active shooter 
are trained to prioritize the safety of the innocent victims over the safety of law enforcement responders. Yeah, right. Sacrifice their own lives. That's right. Do whatever it takes to get to get apprehend to the shooter. Yeah. Whereas if it's a and the difference would I, I think I'm understanding it to be a barricaded shooter would be like if he was by himself in a in a classroom. Yeah, I don't I don't know if they made that clear, but yeah, they didn't think that part. I, I, I'm assuming that's what it would be though. Yeah. A barricaded shooter is like he's by himself. He's not the only person he could possibly harm would be himself. Be himself at that point. Um, and so there there there's a different protocol. Yeah. Yep. And so uh, by this time, the chief, the chiefs on the uh, on the grounds on the facility, he yep. was. It says here he was one of the first responders to arrive in the West Building too. The chief. And this is where it so gets he had out. ground local knowledge from the jump. Right. And but he didn't have he the didn't proper have. ways of communicating. Mm. He's yep. This goes back to information. So then it goes on. It says um, there by the time dozens of police officers were on the scene, the chief did not assume his pre-assigned responsibility of incident command. Mm-hmm. So you have information going from Bortak to the DP to all these other people that nobody knows what's going on or what's happening in the situation. It wasn't a central form of communication, even to the point that you get 911 calls and not everybody knows that there's people still alive. And the chief wasn't in a position to because, receive that information from 911. And then to communicate and dissipate it to everybody who needed to yeah, know. Man. And so there is a massive, again, Neil, Neil, our producer, we talk about this. This was a massive communication failure. Hmm. And also, you know, I was thinking about this as well. He didn't even know there were casualties inside the room because he wasn't getting information from 9-11. Yeah, man, we're going to have to talk more about this. There's so much There's so much to this report, and we barely got the a chance The question to in the back of your mind is, $27 billion, do the parents have the right to sue? Yeah. And then one of the things I want to bring up is, um, where's the dad in all this? The, the report specifically states his father had abandoned him. Oh, man. No father. That was the first thing when it said family. Did the family analysis? No father. Of the shooter. Of the yeah, shooter. so yeah. actually the no family father. analysis is really interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about this more because I think at yeah. the end of the day, the responsibility is on families. We yeah. are the seminary into the church and into the culture, into yeah. the world. And whatever the family is producing is having an effect in ripping ramp, running rampant in those environments. Yeah. And so you have to say, well, what kind of people are we raising? Are we raising the kind of cowards that we see in society that don't t- make, yeah. that don't go after the shooters? Or are we raising the shooters? Yeah. Or, or, you know, like we're raising or both are we of these raising two. the people who stop the shooters. Or are we raising the kind of people yeah, yeah. who will That's go right. in and stop. And so That's we're right. raising those That's kind right. of, there's so much we didn't even get a chance to talk about. I want to get, we'll talk about more. But right now we have Ray, uh, or, I'm sorry, Ray? K. Ray. K. 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 Rubisek. Rubisek. Yes. Just, K. Rubisek. And you guys do not want to miss this no, next segment. No. It's going to be amazing. Maybe we can talk some more about this in the backstage because these 80 pages. Again, I th- can't believe no one's talking about this. We, July seventeenth. We every news July story 17th. needs yep. to be about this right, right now, and right. less about Joe Biden <laughs> and how docile is. All right, more cross politics coming up next. Don't miss this next segment. We're going to talk about how we can beat misinformation and communism with the family. Next on Cross Politics. Hi, I'm Robert Borton, CEO of Classical Conversations, the world's largest classical Christian homeschooling community. I'm launching a new podcast, Refining Rhetoric. If you like cross-politics or just listen to hear what crazy stuff they're saying today, you will enjoy Refining Rhetoric. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. I practice the 15 tools of learning by interviewing great guests, looking at current events, and talking about cryptocurrency. This is where Dave and I plan this year's company holidays. Let's go through the list. Easter, too religious. St. Patrick's Day? Too white. Mother's Day? Way too cisgendered. 
all of your usual holidays have been canceled this year. But we still have Karl Marx's birthday! Ha <laughs> Need a real reason to party? Find a new job at redballoon.work. Save it for another time. No, no. Welcome back to Cross Politic on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Not so long ago, the American dream was alive and well. Employees who worked hard were rewarded, and employers looked for people who could do the job, not for people who had the right political views. Redballoon.work is a job site designed to get us back to what made American businesses successful. Free speech, hard work, and having fun. If you're a free speech employer who wants to hire employees who focus on their work and not identity politics, then post a job on redballoon.work. Mm. come to that. If you're an employee who's being censored at work or is being forced to comply with the current zeitgeist, Post your resume on redballoon.work and look for a new job today. Redballoon.work, the job site where free speech is still alive. Redballoon.work. It's it's .work, not .com for commie. Right. Right. And Andrew is going to be speaking at our conference, at a pre-business workshop in in, uh, October 6th. In Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, yes, sir. So sign up for that. Hey, we're really great. Grateful to have Miss Kay Rubicek on. She's a celebrated author, award-winning filmmaker, distinguished documentary journalist. Interesting. Kay, thanks for coming on Cross Politic. Good evening, gentlemen. So glad to be talking with you. Absolutely. You're the author of the book, Who Are China's Walking Dead? And I'm afraid I need you to tell me the answer to that question because I don't I don't know. What, so what do you mean by Is that question? Is this like a sitcom who, who, or a TV show? Who are China's walking dead? Um, and um, why, why did you need to write this? You know, I didn't want to write this. To be honest, I didn't want to. I interviewed dozens of former Chinese Communist Party officials when I was making a movie about a family story. Actually, I was making a movie about a family Mm -hmm. who suffered persecution in China, in America, from the Chinese Communist Party, from that regime. But they couldn't tell me they were victims. They couldn't explain to me how the Communist Party could be so cruel. And I'm talking about today. I'm not talking, you know, decades ago. I'm talking about very today, current stuff. And so I decided to get the answer to that question, you know, how can they be so cruel, humans against humans? I had to interview people who who did it, people who did torture, people who arrested others, people who put out propaganda. Wow. So I interviewed a former army colonel. I interviewed uh, a man who didn't just run one labor camp. He ran multiple labor camps in China, wow. slave labor, prison labor camps. That's what I'm talking about. Right. And so, so I interviewed a bunch of people um, for this movie. And I got what I needed for the movie, but what they told me was absolutely mind-blowing. And I'm someone who's been studying communism for a few decades now, and my family's suffered from it over three countries, three generations. I myself have been in a Chinese prison, so I thought I had some idea about communism. Yeah. But they told me, one of them first told me, he said, we are uh, walking corpses, walking flesh, Mm. soulless bodies. Mm. And the translator, this was coming through my ear in simultaneous translation, and I, I had to stop the interview yeah. at that point, which I rarely do. But I said, I don't understand this. This is very important. I need to get this. And she was trying to explain it to me, and I said, I don't like that term, but can we say walking dead? Yeah. He said, yes. So I proceeded to ask every other insider when I interviewed them. I would just casually say, have you, have you heard of this term, the walking dead? 
Well, yeah, yeah. This is this is what we've known this for decades. This is what we this is what academics said when communism came into place that this is what we would become. They said this more than fifty years ago. Hmm. So this is what happens when socialism takes over. It's this evil ideology, really. It's just man trying to play God, essentially. Mm. And, and that's, that's what they're, you know, just to simplify, which I think we should do. I think we should simplify. We should call it what it is and, and look at the facts. And so my book goes into um, my interviews with them and my journey of understanding how evil this regime is. But it's, it's in a story form and there's a bit of humor as well. So, you know, you can pick up any chapter, read it through <laughs> from beginning to end and you'll, you'll get a story of, of how propaganda works, of how this prison system works, but also, more importantly, what we're facing here today so that we can learn from that and hopefully avoid the same fate of China's walking dead. So, so Kay, what does it paint the picture of what it looks like to become a walking dead? So it's when your conscience is separate from your your body, your reality. And, I mean, it is is like that when you get killed inside. When your soul is taken away, when you are, uh, you lose the, the human spirit, you lose your free will. You, and it's not that you lose it, it's that you give it up. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially how this ideology takes over. It's, it's so brutal. And it just knows that with all the, I mean, really, there's been a century of studies done by this regime, this tyranny, evil, whatever you want to call it. I like to call it tyranny to give it an umbrella term, but. Mm-hmm. They've done so many scientific experiments on how to break the human body, how to remold us, how to remake society. That 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 concept of playing God that I that I that I used before, and they they cannot break the human spirit. That's what sets sets us apart because it's it's not man made, is it? Right. So when when mm. you recognize that, then and they know that, but they try to stop us from being um, recognizing our our true origins, really, and so. They just need to keep wearing us down. And this is what's happened in China. And we're seeing that here in the US now, but just we can see China as an example of, of how what happens after long term. So they're worn down over time. Their values are removed. Their ability to have freedom of speech, freedom of belief is taken away. In China, they don't know the term human rights. That's not something they're ever taught. It's a very different system. So you lose that uh, ability, the the value of free will, essentially, mm. and, and your spirit gets gets broken. And so they say, what do we replace that with? You know, we replace it with with money and materialism, but is that really what we're here for? So uh, okay. that's, that's how they described it to me. So Kay, you spent some time in Australia, and then you just mentioned a moment ago that you are mm. seeing it here in the U.S. Well, so, she was in Chinese prison before yeah, that or yeah, something. Yeah, right. But, what? But, but how, how did... But where, how did you see this in Australia, and how are you now seeing it in the United States? So I was born and raised in Australia to a family of Russian immigrants, and they didn't tell me about communism because they had escaped it and they found freedom in Australia. But over time, especially when I went to college, that's really when it started to sink in. Um, I didn't see it before that. But in college, I was indoctrinated with this socialist education. I, I was doing a fine arts degree, and I was not allowed to do fine arts. I was being taught to do psychology. Mm. I was being taught to do marketing and propaganda, mm. and and that 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 scared me. And and I I was like, what what is going on? And so it's, that set me. That was a bit of a catalyst. 
And after moving to the US, because as, as a filmmaker, I just knew that I would be able to have more impact in the US because it's a larger market and it has more impact uh, with my work. And so I had the opportunity and I took it in 2011 when I, when I came here in 2010. And then, my, you know, I, I had kids, they're now teenagers, but at the time I was looking at the school system and that's when I started to notice um, what it's like here. And I was also looking at the entertainment system yeah. and I saw how much um, the communist ideology, the communist plans had been uh, put into place. It wasn't just seeping in. When you when you look through a hundred years of their plans, they've just carried it through. That's that's really as simply as it is. We can see it a bit more obviously now. Actually, quite a lot more obviously now. But it's been there. There have been people who have brought this up over decades, and it gets suppressed. And we get told, "No, that's a conspiracy. No, that's stupid." But now we're seeing it and we realise, oh, they've carried out their plans. Why are we surprised? What is it that you saw? Because I don't. I think 2011, 2012, people are like, critical race theory wasn't in effect then in 2011, 2012, really, like it is today. What, what was it that you're seeing that says, wait, wait, this has already permeated the culture inside of our educational system? Correct. I mean, it was really decades ago that the education system was targeted by the Soviets. they So they knew, so if you look at the way uh, communism or socialism has taken over every other country or in, in different parts of the world, it's often this concept of violent revolution. And so we think, well, because like my family, they saw bodies hanging in the trees in Russia when they were escaping, mm. dead bodies. And Lenin did that on purpose because he wanted to scare people. That was his policy, mm. scare people through fear and terror. In China, they did the same thing. But in the US, I mean, we're dealing with people who really, they really focus on this. Their job is to be strategists of carrying out tyranny. And they look at the US and they look at, we have these foundation of this rugged in independence and and free will and this de determination of the of the american spirit which i just love and 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 i just found so wonderful when i came here but growing up in australia i was taught to hate america mind you i was uh -huh. taught to watch hollywood movies drink coca cola eat mcdonald's but hate america <laughs> and in china that's what they're taught as well and I had people, friends and family saying, don't go to America. Oh, you might become like American people. Oh, my gosh. That's what they told me. <laughs> I have an open mind. I came and I just fell in love with the people here. My goodness me. Such good people. And I can tell you so many stories. I won't go into the details now, but so many stories where I have been helped just by everyday Americans. And I've had the opportunity to travel to more than half the states in this country and get to meet people on the ground. So I can say that from personal first-hand experience of interviewing more than 100 Americans. And so, 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 yeah. Kay, where would you identify the walking dead here in our country? Where would be maybe the concentration of kind of where that walking dead mentality is coming from? So the main walking, the, the, the primary source of the walking dead in China are the operators of the regime because they are the hands and feet. And so the interviews that I did in my book were really quite rare and exclusive because there's not many people that have bothered to get that access. You really got to build the trust with these guys. It was very difficult to get these interviews. And, but once I got them, I got this really rare insight into how they think. And 
they have to do what the regime says. I mean, suicide rates among these guys is just ridiculously high. And they are the ones that know they they will get money, they will get power, they have all that, but at any moment they could be the scapegoat of the regime. Their family could be targeted, targeted with um, maybe they will be framed uh, as being involved with some sort of drugs or uh, sexual crimes or um, uh, corruption, anything. They will frame them and that Communist Party member can do nothing but take the fall. That is the deal because the Communist Party, they take an oath that the, the Communist Party is above everything, including their life. So for them, it's, it is a matter of life and death. They put their hands in the party. And that's what I see here uh, among the walking dead is really it's essentially the operators, those who are either willingly or unwillingly or coerced or they've been um, leaders. If you look at, say, for example, Peter Schweizer's book that came out um, earlier this year, Red Handed, that talks about politicians on both sides of the aisle here in the US, how they've been compromised Mm. um, through especially financial situations and, and coercion in the US. Um, there are so many other examples that are not listed in that book, but this is exactly what they do. And they they make you, it's a choice. It's a choice. You want the money, you want the power, you're compromised. If you don't want that humiliation, if they get you into a compromising situation and they can blackmail you, what are you going to do? There's mm. a lot of people in very difficult situations and that's there. A lot of them are running our country right now. Thinking like Epstein and uh, <laughs> you know. K Rubachek, you don't have a Twitter because I looked for you. No, do she's you, got Twitter. Do you have a Twitter? She's got Twitter. Yeah, I found it. I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. I do. All right. So we'll, we'll have the Twitter up here and the best way you have place like Substack or someplace that you write that people can follow you outside of Twitter. So follow me on Twitter, follow me on Instagram, Facebook. I have some new work coming out, so I'm not, I'm focusing on some more detailed work rather than doing the regular ongoing news reporting. I want to be able to dig a bit deeper, which is a a benefit of being a documentary filmmaker is that I can get a bit deeper into subjects, which takes a bit longer. Doesn't mean I can put something out every week, but hopefully it's worth waiting for. So if you go to my website, you can join my newsletter uh, list and you can follow me on all the social media. And uh, yeah, my my website is my name, K-A-Y. R-U-B-A-C-E-K.com. Okay. I want you to stick around with this if you don't mind, because I want to know if America actually has an immune system be able to fight what you see is coming. That's right. We'll That's talk right. about that backstage. So you might want to be a backstage club member so you can enjoy this conversation with us too. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until tomorrow, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. Home, it's where you build your legacy, where traditions are started, seeds are planted, meals are shared, and stories are told. We are Chris Natalie Carpenter, owners of Story Real Estate, and our team of top agents helps people find homes in Moscow, Idaho, and around the country. Have you thought about a move? Contact us to get connected with a top agent who shares your values and puts your family first or reach out to us about our Moscow Relocation Guide. Wherever you're looking to go, we can help you find home. Call us at Story Real Estate or visit us at storyrealestate.com and start building your legacy.
The season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. All right, so just stay like this. How, how am I doing here? So, yeah, you don't like you don't like this, huh? What does a Christian education look like when non-Christians are the ones who control the institutions of learning? This is a question that confronted Bishop Augustine of Hippo in North Africa in the fifth century AD. Augustine lived at the twilight of the Roman Empire. He himself had been trained with the best learning that Rome at that time had to offer. He himself actually came through the ranks and taught rhetoric in some of the best schools. And it was then, after he had come of age, that he converted to Christianity, but he wanted to continue the project of education, but this time for Christians. And so he had to confront the question, what does a Christian education look like when the unbelievers control the field? when they control the institutions, when the whole ap apparatus and curriculum of learning emerge from a pagan environment. And so Augustine wondered, what is it that Christians should jettison? What is it that Christians can embrace? What is it that Christians can adopt, but in modified form? These are the questions that Augustine confronted when he sought to educate Christians in an environment when unbelievers dominated the field. A century later, we see a man in the south of Italy named Cassiodorus who faced a very different educational landscape. He had to ask what did a Christian education look like in an environment where unbelievers had abandoned the project of education altogether. The ins infrastructure of learning had entirely eroded. If education was to proceed at all, it had to proceed on the foundation of Christianity. The Christians had to be the ones preserving education. What does a Christian education look like when Christians are the ones forming the institutions, when Christians are the ones organizing the curriculum? Well, these two seasons in the history of education, the season of Augustine and the season of Cassiodorus, just 100 years apart, were very different moments in a crucial transformation that occurred in the history of the Western liberal arts. We're going to be studying this story. We're going to be going back to the sources. We're going to go back to Augustine. We're going to go back to Cassiodorus. We're going to ask ourselves, which of their predicaments most resembles our own? Which can we learn from Augustine's period? What can we learn from Cassiodorus's period? As we confront these questions, we're going to engage these sources, and we invite you to join us here at New St. Andrews College.